The Watership Down podcast is intended for listeners who are familiar with the plot. There may be spoilers. This episode is scripted by Newell Fisher, with script assistance by John Ruths. Hello, and welcome to the Watership Down podcast, episode 110, in which we'll be looking at the second story from part three of Tales from Watership Down, chapter 13 of the overall book, The New Warren. First, though, I've had an interesting email from Laurie Pepper from the Netherlands on the subject of the lost paragraph and translating Watership Down. Quote, Hi, Neil. My name is Laurie, and I am a 42-year-old man living in the Netherlands. Watership Down has always been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. The book I now own belonged to my mother when she was still alive. I always was intrigued seeing the illustrations on the dust jacket when I saw it standing on the bookshelf at my parental home. I'm on the spectrum as you are, I understand. When feeling under the weather, watching the film gives me great comfort. The beauty of it and love with which it was made. The music, the voices, the humour. I could go on and on. For my 40th birthday, my wife gave me the 40th anniversary Penguin paperback edition. I started reading it alongside the Peter Capaldi audiobook. Of course, I noticed the textual differences between the two, but thought it was due to alterations made in favour of the audiobook. I would like to know your take on the following. On page 206 of the Penguin 40th Anniversary Edition, which contains the lost paragraph, Bigwig calls Hazel, Hazel Ra. Isn't this strange? Because it is so out of the blue and in the middle of the story. There is no notice given to it. Have they forgotten to edit it out? I didn't expect this to be in the book before the moment Bigwig recognised Hazel as his chief, and now he already did? A fun fact I'd like to share with you, and I presume you won't already know, is the following. The Dutch translation of the 1974 is based on the 1972 Rex Conin version that doesn't have the lost paragraph. It contains a lot of translation flaws. Essential to the book are the primroses in the beginning and end of the book. In Dutch, the primroses at the end are turned into peonies. I recently brought the Dutch translation with illustrations by Aldo Galli, 22nd altered print of 2015, and although it has corrected some of the other translation mistakes, it still contains the peony error. Thank you for starting this podcast and for your videos on YouTube. Yours sincerely, Laurie Pepper. End quote. Thank you for your email, Laurie, and for the information. This just illustrates the perils of translation. And Bigwig does indeed call Hazel, Hazel Ra, on page 4 of chapter 25, The Raid, which is on page 216 of my 1978 Puffin edition. This somewhat detracts from the whole point of the tension set up by the Lost Paragraph, which was supposedly only resolved after Bigwig fights Woundward. I had never noticed this before. Nice find, Laurie, and welcome to the Owsler, for services to textual scouting. So then, let's return to our favourite down. Part 3, Story 2, Chapter 13, The New Warren This chapter gives me the warm fuzzies, despite it being very short and ending somewhat abruptly. But it is the first chapter in Tales from Watership Down that could have been part of the original novel as Chapter 51, and not seem particularly out of place, notwithstanding the tone of closure at the end of Chapter 50. As such, it was exactly what I was looking for when I first read Tales in the 90s. The stories of Section 3 of Tales tend to run into each other, though last week's was an exception to this. This tale starts off sounding like a standalone, but the lack of resolution at the end means it runs into the next tale, even though the three that follow it act effectively as a single story arc. 
The opening quotation is by Bishop Lancelot Andrews, who lived in the 16th and 17th centuries and was an English bishop under the reigns of Queen Elizabeth I and James I, also James VI of Scotland. It comes from one of his sermons on the Nativity, preached on Christmas Day in 1622, and simply concerns a journey undertaken at the coldest time of year, seemingly by the wise men as they travel to see the infant Christ. A journey made exceptionally difficult as a result of the cold. Which is strange, as the chapter does not actually feature such a journey, unless this is a call forward to a journey by someone else. The story actually opens with one of the easiest journeys in the landscape of Watership Down, as Kihar flies over the rolling countryside of the dip slope between Watership Down and the chalk stream of the Test near Ephrafa. We are told that it is now five months since the escape from Ephrafa, which makes this December. Kihar is on a mission, and one he is not too happy about. We are treated to some exposition that goes into detail that would be unnecessary if this were Chapter 51 of Watership Down, but it is not, so the added detail is necessary in a tale written a quarter of a century later. Kiar helps the rabbits of Watership Down because they saved his life after he was injured by a cat at Nuthanger Farm and managed to make it onto the down. After that, he did not begrudge helping them look for any warrens nearby where there might be does, and he certainly didn't mind helping them escape from Ephrafa with some does, especially when he got to attack Woundward. For Ephrafa, one might say unfortunately, was the only warren he found. But now, you might say, the rabbits of Watership Down are pushing their luck a bit, asking Kihar to scout out a possible location for a new warren between Watership Down and the changed Ephrafa. The job of explaining his mission was tactfully left to Kihar's best rabbit friend and admirer Bigwig, the formidable captain of Warship Down's loosely organised Owsler. Bigwig had explained the ideal kind of location for such a warren very well, and the need for one reveals an awareness of the need to start a new warren before the one on Watership Down becomes too crowded. In saying this, Bigwig reveals an intelligence among the rabbits of Watership Down that we will return to. For the warren there lies close to a path used by humans, now called the Wayfarer's Way, and the warren cannot be allowed to grow too much or it will become too visible to passing humans. As a human who noticed rabbits on Watership Down myself recently, while on that path, I can attest to this. In the 1972 novel, only the gallops on Watership Down were really mentioned as a source of humans, but it seems that this path may have become more significant during the subsequent quarter of a century. I am sure Adams reconnoitred the landscape while writing tales and made it a feature of the narrative, even though the events being described here are logically still set in the late sixties. After a brief mention of cats, Kihar set off south and flew over Hare Warren Farm, then down to Caesar's Belt. Hare Warren is an odd name as hares do not have warrens. There he met other gulls, one of whom warns him of very cold weather approaching from the west. Interestedly, this gull's speech is not made to sound foreign, as it obviously spoke to Kihar in their own language, but Kihar's bad-tempered muttering to himself as he begins to feel the signs of this weather still is. Kihar's foreignness is too much a part of his character to be dropped at a moment like this. Flying west, he crosses the A34 road, reaching as far as Beacon Hill, where there is an ancient earth fort, before going east again, though further north than the line of the Downs. Eventually, and presumably further south again, he finds an ideal site for a new warren. 
It is a bit closer to Ephrafa than Watership, as our favourite realm will soon be overtly referred to by its residents for the first time, meaning that it is one of two named warrens in tales that are translated into their English names rather than the Lapine names of them being used, the word Sandalford being used by Hazel once later on. In the 1972 novel, I do not believe any rabbit actually used the word Sandalford or Watership Down to refer to the two warrens at all, and Ephrafa was the only warren named in Lapine. But in Tales, we've already encountered another Lapine named Warren, Thineal, so not having actual names for two major Warrens in the original novel is no longer feasible. Kihar judges the site of the new Warren well. It is, on the, it is on the edge of a wood, facing a field in which there are horses. Although this will mean some human activity, it is unlikely to be too much of a threat to rabbits. Looking at the Ordnance Survey map, this places the location of the new Warren possibly somewhere near the Ridgeway, or Ridgeway or Willisley Warren Farms, where there are a few copse locations with southwest or sunset facing locations, but not too near roads. Poolswood, Ridgeway Copse and Palmer's Bushes seem likely candidates. In case I haven't mentioned it before, this is my Kung Fu, and it is strong. Slight geek reference there for you to look up. Kihar tells the rabbits at Watership about the site the following day. He then flies south to tell Campion at Ephrafa. Campion sends word that he will send his expedition out to the new site as soon as he receives word that the one from Watership has arrived on site. This means that the Watership rabbits will have to spend a night and a day out in the open, waiting for them. Surely, having Kihar available to them, the two expeditions could set out more or less at the same time. Are we encountering a little residual refrain inflexibility here? They will have Kihar with them at the new site for protection from Elil. The Watership Expedition, consisting of Hazel, Bigwig, Thethuthinang and Ransel, arrives at the site early that evening and settles down for the night. That night, they are attacked by a male stoat, and the presence of Kihar proves to be essential as he injured it and drives it away. The next day, Groundsel, one of the former Ephrafans who attacked Watership with Woundwort, who is part of the expedition, says that although he is tough, he doesn't fancy living in a place crawling with stoats and weasels. Bigwig says they will be all right once the holes are dug, though I have to comment that this, these will not necessarily be any protection against such predators, at least not in our reality. They are about to start digging, when very disappointingly Kihar interrupts to say that they need to leave, and quickly. The bad weather he was warned about is about to get a lot worse, he has sensed. It is a bad idea to ignore such a warning from a seagull. To borrow a phrase from elsewhere, winter is coming. The watership expedition sets off back to the down immediately, while Kihar flies south to warn Campion at Ephrafa. Campion is sceptical, so Kihar comments that he will make damn fine ice rabbit, and flies away. And that is how the chapter ends. Abruptly. Is it canon? Yes. Actually, I do have more to say. As said earlier, this chapter is very much in the spirit of the 1972 novel, and as such, I enjoy reading it very much. I'm sure that a close textual analysis might reveal that a quarter of the quarter of a century gap means that the way familiar characters speak has changed, but I can forgive that. 
for we have reached the moment in Tales from Watership Down where the tension between originalist and revisionist is perhaps at its lowest. But, you might argue, all that is about to change. Next time, we look at the first half of one of the longest chapters in the book, and we meet a formidable doe. Thank mm-hmm. you.